you have so many expectations of like, this is the Olympics, this is what I've dreamed of, and these are the goals I had. I didn't quite achieve like what I wanted to, at least results wise, and walked away with like a lot of big takeaways of like, what is it, what is worth sacrificing and what is not worth sacrificing? Because, and does that even make me a better skier? And so I think I had a lot of reflection last spring. Welcome to the other three years a show for anyone who has an Olympic-sized dream they want to turn into a reality. Hi, (laughs) Um, and welcome to the podcast. So it's very exciting. This week we have uh, guest Julia Kern. Julia is a 2022 Winter Olympian in cross-country skiing, which is super cool. Um, She's been on the U.S. National Cross Country Ski Team for nine years since she was 17 years old, which is so impressive. I was not doing that when I was 17 years old. (laughs) Um, I was going to say I was eating ice cream when I was 17 years old, but I think you can eat ice cream and be on the national team. But um, yeah, Uh, so this past winter, Julia won a bronze medal at the Cross Country Skiing World Championships, which is amazing. And she's also medaled previously at the U23 and Junior World Championships. So um, Julia and I are actually from the towns next to each other in Massachusetts, I but we've never crossed paths. Um, so I just reached out to her on Instagram, slid into her DMs, uh, you may say, and asked her to be on the podcast. She came on and it was fun. We had a really cool conversation. Um, we talked about, you know, her life, her journey in sport and outside of sport, um, school and work and all of those things. And it was cool to see what similarities we had between our lives, but also, you know, what what our sports um, differed in and how our lives differ. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting. Like I really resonated with a lot of stuff that she said, um, especially like coming off the Olympics and, and how that makes you reevaluate, you know, what you want your life to look like. Um, because it does in, in these, you know, other three years, it, it takes more than just, you know, that Olympic time to, to be successful, but it also takes, being happy and fulfilled in your life. So she had a lot of good, good things to say, and it was a really fun conversation. But uh, before we get into my conversation with Julia, um, here is an update on my training right now. Right now, I am back in Saratoga. I got back from Italy on Monday, and we just wrapped up racing at the second World Cup in Varese, Italy. It was a experience of highs and lows. Um, I raced in two events in the women's quad and the women's double. And in the quad, we definitely did not do as well as we wanted to do. Um, We actually didn't make the final, which was a really tough go. We just didn't, doubling up was tough. Um, Our races were pretty close together and we just haven't spent that much time in the quad. Not an excuse, just kind of a, a note. And yeah, we, we ended up winning the B finals. So we came seventh overall and we definitely got better every race, but it's frustrating when you are capable or think you're capable of more. Um, 
that's like a frustrating race result. So for me, I think for my teammates, it just didn't feel like we ever could put everything together in that 2000 meter race to, to have a result that we were, you know, um, felt exemplified our true speed and our true potential. So that was a bit frustrating. Um, but we did have more success in the doubles. Um, we both, we raced in two doubles. So I rode with Sophia, um, who I rode with last year and then Lauren and Emily, the other two in our, uh, quad raced in a double and we both made the final. So we had two boats in the final, which is really awesome. And then in the final, Sophia and I ended up coming in second, um, like 0.07 seconds from first. So, um, almost, almost got that gold medal. We were, we were sprinting through at the end, but just ran out of track a little bit. So it was pretty cool to, to be able to have that race as our sixth race in three days, which is a lot. I was definitely pretty tired at the end and I feel happy. Uh, we went pretty fast in the double, so that was exciting. And I, I feel happy with, with that. And it's always nice to, to end up on the podium. I think we were both really gunning for the win. So a little, little sad, especially to have been so close. The U S uh, had a great regatta, a lot of medals, but a lot of close seconds. And it's just like a hard pill to swallow when you're that close to a gold medal, but it's just a step along the way. The world cup is not the world championship and you never know where the other countries are and they're training. We still have things to do. So it, it feels good to be in the mix and know that we're doing the right things, but also to have things to work on and, and feel a little fire in the belly, hungry for more, know that there's more that we want to accomplish this year and next year. So it, it was, it was beautiful though. It was really pretty there. Um, the race course is really nice. It's kind of on an open lake, which is cool. And, um, it was nice to be racing again internationally. It's, we don't get to do it that often. So it was, it was a fun experience and, and it was nice that the U S team, you know, overall, like all the boats were doing really well, the, our women's four one, which was really exciting. My friends in there are so happy for them. I know how hard they work just like everyone. So I was really happy for them. And, um, I think, seeing that the U S team is just doing well, really makes, makes me feel like, you know, we're doing the right things and to trust the training and trust the process, which is a good way to feel. Um, but of course, you know, we all want to keep improving and now we're kind of going into a time of another round of selection. So we have a little bit of time to rest and recover, but pretty soon we're going to be going at it again. And I'm just trying to take advantage of a little bit of recovery time this week, kind of listen to my body, listen to my mind and have a break from the super competitiveness um, and just do what feels good, move my body in different ways, go for some bike rides and runs and a little time rowing in my single. Um, But really just trying to live, live a little summer life and go out on the motorboat and the lake and go for a swim and just enjoy, enjoy the, the beautiful scenery and stuff. It's, it really does feel like summer here, which summer in the Northeast is just, there's really nothing like it. And the Adirondacks, it's like, 
I feel like I missed the really bad mosquito season also, which is super nice. Um, although the bugs were pretty bad in Italy. So I don't know. Got plenty of bug bites, I guess. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been good. It was fun racing and now it's, it's nice to have a little bit of time to breathe, um, before we get right back into it. And then it's going to be a major push through to the world championships, but I'm back with in Saratoga with, uh, my normal team, Orion and, Some of my teammates are already in Princeton for the second camp, and then some of them are actually racing in the Netherlands at the Holland Becker this weekend. So it's not a full group, but um, really exciting to see people off doing their thing, killing it, and, um, you know, also get to have a little bit of time here. So it's, it's, it's been all good. Now it is time for our review of the week. Just as a reminder, it would be amazing if you review this podcast and really any podcast that you like. Um, It's pretty easy. You just like scroll to the bottom of the podcast page and you can uh, leave five stars if you want, if you think it's worth five stars um, or and words. And if you leave me words, I might read them on the podcast, which is cool and fun. So this week, um, I am reading a review from Apple Podcasts that is from my friend and my old teammate, uh, Lizzie Battle. And Lizzie says, Christy's podcast is an awesome behind the scenes look into the life of an elite athlete. She gives great perspective on both the highlights and challenges athletes face in their Olympic journey. Christy is so inspiring and shows how hard work and resilience can truly make dreams come true. Christy is a great storyteller and her wisdom relates to both rowing and life. Whether you've been in the rowing world or just love sports, this is an amazing podcast to listen to. Thanks, Lizzie. You're awesome. You're, you're so cool. Uh, Lizzie, I used to row with Lizzie in a pair. Um, and she's, she's a great, she's a great friend. She was an amazing rower. Now she's always been an amazing person. So thank you. And I can read your podcast and talk about how great you are if you leave one on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So do that, please. (laughs) And uh, now it's time for the fun part. My conversation with cross-country skiing Olympian Julia Kern. So I hope that you guys love this conversation. It was really fun to have. I learned a lot from Julia. Plus, we had some funny talks about uh, TikTok and these other (laughs) and the dances that the cross-country skiing team does. Um, And so if you have any thoughts about it, uh, let me know. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Christy number one, um, or you can send me an email at the other three years at gmail.com. You started skiing when you were like a baby. Yeah. I was like in the ski sled until I could walk and then straight on, straight on the skis. Wow. That's awesome. So like, did you always love it and like know that you wanted to do it or? (laughs) No, actually not. I think that's what maybe surprises some people, but, um, my my a lot of my family's from Germany or my whole family is and so we would ski over Christmas and my grandparents would teach us how to ski as my, when my parents wanted to go do a loop and my grandma had to bribe me with gummy bears to keep going so I didn't always love it I think I, I always enjoyed it but it wasn't my favorite sport until middle of high school where things really shifted and I was actually a lot more focused on basketball until I was like 14. Oh really? Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, did you play like other sports and growing up in high school? Yeah. 
Yeah, I played so many sports. I did track and field. I played soccer through middle school. I swam into middle school, um, cross country running, basketball for the for the major sports, and then just the outdoor sports for fun as a hobby. Yeah, because I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm also from like Massachusetts, and I I, I knew people that did like Nordic skiing, but I I feel like it wasn't like a high school sport. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, did you, did, does Waltham have like a team? Did you do it for Waltham at all? Or did you just always like do it on the side? Um, so at the time when I was at Waltham, there, there was no high school team, but I recently found out last year when I did a, I went and talked to the high school students. They had developed the team now, which is really cool. I just raced for the club team, which is now EMXC. It was formerly called CSU. Did you feel like you had a quote unquote, like normal childhood or like, were you spending a ton of time skiing? And then, like- Yeah, I would say normal as in the sense I went to a public school. I didn't go to a ski academy and I had like the club team, but I was, you know, doing track and field for Waltham and I played club basketball in the fall and in the spring. So I, I was still doing other things and I wasn't like dead set on skiing it was like my focus but I had no idea where it was going to take me or couldn't have even imagined uh where I am now when I was that age for sure but um yeah so I would say normal in that sense but I would say my junior and senior year I was missing quite a bit of school when I was in Europe to race at like world juniors and Europa cup and so in that sense that was not normal and I was fortunate that my high school allowed that because I know like Weston for example didn't allow that for Zoe and um, by the end, when I graduated, I had like almost a year of absentees in the four years I was there. So, uh, it was a lot of school miss, but I also, my family was in Germany. So we would go over for Christmas and I would miss a week there. Um, so that was like not normal, I would say, but prepared me really well for doing, uh, college and skiing at the same time. Yeah. How was that experience? Um, I like was reading something on your website that you like, well, you went to Dartmouth, right? Um, yeah. And so they have, I, I I have some of my friends that went to Dartmouth and like, you can like take semesters off, right? Because it's like the quad, yeah. whatever it's called, the quadrant system. So how yeah. was that? Yeah. So I, uh, I was looking at like UVM and Dartmouth and Dartmouth had the quarter system. So it worked really well for skiing. And there's a, a legacy of ski team athletes going there to do the 12 year plan, which means taking the spring quarter for 12 years straight. Um, I always knew I probably didn't want to do it to that extreme, but I didn't know how quick or slowly I would, I would take my time and just wanted to kind of see how skiing was going. Um, and I ended up actually doing quite a bit of school cause I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of injuries, so I felt like my training load wasn't that high. And, uh, um, I did it in about four, five years, five, about five years. Um, and I would do like, I did three years in a row of spring, summer, fall. And so I just flipped the school year and did summer semester or quarter instead of winter semester. And fortunately I was able to train with the Dartmouth team. I was on their roster, but I never raced for them in the winter since I was gone. Like winter term ended Thanksgiving, which was our first world cup race weekend. And then it went until usually like I missed maybe the first few days of class at the the spring semester for the last races of the season. So it really like bookended the season to take winter off and um, complemented really well, but it was a lot of, uh, a lot of 
time spent trying to train full time and and do full course load. There's no like half load at Dartmouth. It's just you take three classes every quarter. I mean, that sounds like a ton. And like if you're going right into like your major season and then you get back and then you just have like full school, like I feel like there's no like break time there either. Yeah, I think when I graduated, I realized like, wow, I haven't had like a week of like, oh, I want to go visit my sister or do something that was that didn't exist. I and, and it was ideal because I had two weeks between spring and summer, and that was either training camp or training with my club team. And then in, in the fall, between the summer and fall, I went down to New Zealand all three years, and so I had training camp fit in there. So I often took like the last bit of my final in New Zealand, and then had like my two week break, which was training camp, so I could focus on training and then jump right back into school. So it was definitely exhausting. But then when I graduated, I was like, oh, I can go out to San Diego and just like visit my sister. Like I, it was either like always I'm on a ski trip or I'm at school because there was no online option except for, I guess, like my last COVID term. But um, it was really busy, but I liked the, the fast, the fast pace. I got, yeah, I got a lot done and experienced a lot. And I'm grateful that I got so much in-person time because I got to only, I had only two quarters online for COVID reasons. I like graduated from college a little while ago, so I like couldn't have imagined COVID. I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't think, <laughs> yeah. I, don't think I would have been very good at it. Like <laughs> um, I've yeah, it's really crazy. Like how I don't know, I'm very impressed with all the people, like especially people that were like, I don't know, either like seniors in high school or like freshmen in college, you know, like their whole experience. Mm-hmm. It's been crazy. Um yeah, so now um now are you just like focused on skiing kind of number one thing like all the time and nice to have some extra rest time <laughs> uh yes and no so my my last year at school I like did spring and then spring so my last year out stretched out and I started working for an app called pastimes as a designer and a little bit of social a little startup life so doing a little bit of everything um and so I worked for that app the last two years and that's kind of faded out recently um so i transferred from school right into working for an app that i was passionate about um, connecting people in the outdoors and now i'm at a point where i'm actually deciding what to do next if i want to keep seeking out some stuff on the side just to keep my brain engaged in a different way or just focus on skiing i think i've realized more recently like as you level up there's more hours of training and more hours of physical therapy and body care as you know and so the days actually get quite busy even if you're not training like people go well you aren't like training nine hours a day and it's like yeah but you got to go to practice you got to take care of your equipment just like the travel time and then you got to make cook good food and then you have social media and sponsorship obligations and then the day is already over and you're like where's all my time going so um i found that with sponsorship stuff i've um have a lot more going on which is exciting and which brings a lot more like work and emails and the other thing i just subscribed myself to is being the athlete representative for um the international ski federation for cross-country skiing and so there's two athletes total and so i just started that um about like a month and a half two months ago and so it's a volunteer position but it's as much as work as you want to make it so if you want to accomplish a lot you can get really involved and um, yeah, represent the athletes. So that's something I'm doing uh, on the side as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally like 100% know what you're talking about. I feel like when I'm really busy with like work stuff, I like find a way to make it all happen, like get all my workouts and everything. But then like 
when I like when we're at training camp or I don't know, something like somehow the workouts and yeah, PT or whatever it is, like seem to take up the whole day. And you're just like, I wouldn't have possibly had four or five hours to work today. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how I do that sometimes. Um, and I think for me, like, especially like, cause next year will be like our Olympic year for summer Olympics, like, especially heading into like Olympic year, we just like travel a bit more and everything's like a bit more intense. Um, but you guys are like coming off of your Olympic year. Um, so have you had like, well, I guess now you're one year out. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you like, congratulations on going to the Olympics? <laughs> um, and did you feel like you kind of hit a bit of like a reset or was it just like right back into training? No, I definitely took some time to reset. I think for me, uh, the month of April is like our month off is really important to reset. And I think the Olympics like went fine, but not great. And I actually had my best races after the Olympics at the end of the season. So I ended the season on a really high note, which was amazing last year um, and really motivating. But it was also like, I don't know, the Olympic experience makes you really reflect on, okay, this is like, you have so many expectations of like, this is the Olympics. This is what I've dreamed of. And these are the goals I had. And I didn't quite achieve like what I wanted to, at least results wise, and walked away with like a lot of big takeaways of like, what is it, what is worth sacrificing and what is not worth sacrificing? Because, and does that even make me a better skier? And so I think I had a lot of reflection last spring of like how I want to approach skiing long-term without school and without work. I was finally looking at like, okay, what, like, where do I want to go from here? And if I want to do this another eight years, like, what does that look like sustainably? And so I think I kind of had that kind of like mental and physical reset in the spring and definitely changed my approach to training a bit this year and um, just gave me like a different perspective I didn't have before. I didn't have the time to like think about and process before. (laughs) Yeah. I also just feel like female athletes now it's more sustainable to have like a career as a female athlete across like all sports. I just feel like in the past it was like you had, you could do your like athletic life and then start, you know, whatever your like quote unquote real life. But now I feel like it's exactly what you're saying. Like, how can I find a way to make this my actual life? I like also, I mean, it's hard. I like also didn't finish as high at the Olympics as I would have liked. And I feel like that gave me a good like kick in the pants, like going into the next quad. Um, But I I totally agree with you. Like, I feel like I like sat down like blank slate, like, okay, well, how can I make this next cycle? How can I like end up here with a different result? Um, Mm -hmm. But you guys like it's a little bit different because you guys compete in a bunch of different events, right? You can, you can compete. We have six events total. And I think what's so tricky about cross-country skiing too, is like, there's so many, and maybe I don't know much enough about rowing, but I feel like there's so many factors out of your control in cross-country skiing too, that is both like motivating and not motivating in the sense of you can be the fittest person and like the best form of the day. But if the conditions don't match, match right, your skis don't like your skis aren't fast or you pick the wrong skis, it kind of already puts you at a huge disadvantage. And like for us in Jean-Jacques like the conditions were very unlike anything we normally race on. And so I look back a little bit disappointed on the result, but at the same time, like extremely cold air, I struggle with my lungs and like absolutely no glide. It was just conditions that I had no control over 
And so that's um, really difficult when the Olympics are so different to what we're normally used to. And so that was, and like we're at elevation. So there's just like, there were so many external factors that were different than normal. And so I think that's, what's also really tricky. And then we have different events. Unlike I think any sport in the Olympics, we have a sprint race every Olympics, but the technique uh, alternates. So last Olympics, it was a freestyle sprint. Next Olympics can be a classic sprint. Like, so if you're a classic sprint specialist, you have one chance in every eight years to do that, which is pretty nuts. Like it's like if track and field was like, okay, we're only going to run the hundred meter today, this year, next year we'll do the 200 or next cycle we'll do the 200. That's crazy. Yeah. And so we have six events, which is a lot if you look at it, but then you look at on a world cup, we start up to nine people per gender and at the Olympics, you can only start four athletes per race. And the way the schedule works out is like every other day schedule. So it's pretty condensed and you have to pick and choose, but also like we, on the women's side, especially we have our top athletes are good at our top in everything. So there's really only like one or two spots, wiggle room spots and all the other events. Yeah. I was going to ask like, so is it better to try to be like, well, obviously it'd be the best to be like the best in every single thing, but like, is it better, (laughs) (laughs) is it better to like, kind of be like always one of the top people in everything or like, oh, like Julia always wins this one thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think depends like what your goals are. Like if you're, And like, if you're a sprint or distance specialist, like I think in what team you're on, like certain teams are so stacked in sprint or so stacked in distance that like the athletes have to specialize because they have to like essentially be metal potential to even get on the start line. And with our team, it depends also like who's retired and what the field is like, but you obviously want to have your best chance at meddling in an event, but there's also team events. And so putting that, like weighing that into account, um, yeah, ideally you're best at everything. So you have like a guaranteed start, but we had people like make the Olympic team who didn't get to race because the same two or three people were racing every race. So there wasn't that many, that many other opportunities. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting to me too. So like the way that you, and I tried to like look this up, but you guys can make the Olympic team in like a number of different ways, right? Like you can going through the season um, or even like the year before, like based on all these results or a top performance at certain events, right? Yeah. So, but it's not like you're just qualifying, like in swimming or whatever, they like qualify for like the 200 free or whatever, but that's mm-hmm. not exactly what's happening, right? So, no, yeah. no, there's a like, so we have like no trials and it's not like you're qualifying for a certain event, but there's certain quotas for certain events. So they have a clause now, like if only five, up to five people can qualify for the sprint like under the sprint criteria after that, if someone qualifies, but a six, they won't take them because most of the races are more distance heavy. And so they're not going to want more than one alternate for sprint. And so they'll take up to five sprinters and then the rest will be filled with distance skiers. But one of the criteria is a top eight in that Olympic discipline. So if it's a classic sprint at the Olympics, it has to be a classic sprint. If you get a top eight there, that's like the top tier. And then it's the the ranking on the world's cup. And then they fill the rest with discretion and from the U S um, circuit. And so there's no trials, which is, I think, really cool because you hear those stories from swimming or track. Like, what if you're sick on that given day at trials and you don't make it, but you're, like, by clearly the favorite and should be on the team. But at the same time, at the cross country, like, you make the Olympic team. It doesn't guarantee you anything except that you're on the Olympic team. But you might not race at all. Yeah. 
So are you guys just like doing like training camps and like workouts and then they just like the coaches, like who decides who's going to start like, and how soon before do you find out? <laughs> yeah, I think it depends. It depends on the championship, but with COVID, since it was like still COVID times, we had the two world cups before also get canceled. So the selection period ended up being shorter than they expected, but we had a pre-camp to acclimate to altitude. And in that pre-camp, they started the way the coaches try to approach it is they divvy out the starts for the first like three races. And then from there, they about, they see how the championship is going before they divvy out the rest. Unless it's like, if it's like a 50 kilometer race, like you're probably going to know like who's racing that or likely and they'll name alternates. And so preparing for the Olympic races, I like knew, okay, I had the first two races on the schedule. Um, and I didn't have a second one and maybe one later and team events are definitely decided later. And so I prepared for those two events and then the rest was going to be determined as the championship went on. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty mm-hmm. different to rowing. Yeah. You, like qualify yeah. into like the boats um, and it's split. Like some, some events are like trials. So like if you win the trial, you go and some are like a camp based Um but I so do you qualify as a boat or how do they like yeah. figure out who even goes in the boat? Cause it doesn't have to be like who you row well with. And yeah. So the small boats are like trials boats. So first at like the world championships the year before. So like this year's world championships, we have to qualify like the actual boats because you can't just like send like any boat. Like you have to qualify mm-hmm. like the, whatever the class, the category, and then um, we have trials for like the one and two person boats. And so that's just like, if you win on that certain day, you go. But yeah, it is a little weird. And like, like in 2021, we had like the single trial and then like the doubles trials were like four weeks later or something. So after the singles trials, it's weird because all the people like, so I got like third in that race and I ended up rowing in the double with like the girl that got second. So like, it's kind of a weird, like, yeah, like everyone finds a partner, but then the bigger boats, like the four and the eight and the quad and stuff are, it's like a camp and coaches try a bunch of different things. And then there's a naming date and they have to announce the team on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird, but the thing it's interesting. Cause like rowing usually at the Olympics is like really bad weather because like well because they don't pick like the olympics based on like the rowing venue so it's like traditionally in like a pretty windy or like not you know like when we have our just our normal races they're in kind of these like man-made little you know so weather is like a much bigger factor usually in the olympics than it is just at like a world cup or world championship so it's interesting that you said that because like really they like select the Olympics based on like, you know, whatever the money and the TV view it, you know, like it doesn't actually have anything to do with the sports. Um, and I, I think like I was watching the winter Olympics on TV and like the like Alpine skiing too was like a huge factor. Right. Cause the, they just, it was super cold and they had no like actual snow. Um, mm-hmm. but you guys race on like man-made snow a lot, right? We, we do, but not usually like man-made in that cold like usually you're using man-made where it's pretty warm okay and so and then 
they yeah so it was like really cold and man-made and then it also snowed when we were there like three times which it doesn't snow there then there was like rumors of like cloud seeding and stuff which is pretty bizarre but so then it made the snow even more strange and then you have like this wind and so the wind was just wicking the moisture away and that's why in alpine too like it was like skiing on styrofoam that's like the only way people could and like the jump people who were doing jumping competitions too like the landing and the speed was just completely different and so um we ski on man-made a lot but not usually man-made and then like at the negative legal limit and then with a wind chill that's like negative 20 or negative 15 fahrenheit like it was quite quite bizarre and i think that's what the common viewers often don't realize is like the olympics don't favor the favorites they favor the underdogs because you're having some of the best athletes in the world on like the world cups and world championships what's like more of a normal environment and then you bring these sports to like artificial environments or environments they don't naturally compete in and you get much different weather conditions and if you're in a sport that depends on weather which is most sports it's it's not um conducive to maybe what the favorites are used to (laughs) yeah so is that why you guys had like kt tape all over your faces yeah it was was so it was just like so cold and so cold and like we had our night so the sprint we actually had like they changed the time of the sprint because supposed to be a night sprint and it was gonna be below the like legal racing limit just an air temp um that doesn't even include the wind like we had, i had two headbands and a hat on and was getting a brain freeze because the wind was so like i've never experienced that and we've skied in pretty cold conditions but the wind was so strong you would literally get like a brain freeze and i skied in a rain jacket the whole olympics because the wind was so brutal um and so yeah we had like our race times changed the men's 50k got shortened to a 30k which if you think about like if your olympic event is a 50k and it gets halved that's like a it's completely a huge, different race yeah. and to happen at the olympics like the thing you maybe were prepare, preparing for your whole life and it was because they were worried people were gonna get like to like get frostbite out there because you sweat a lot and the wind just chills you down um oh so it was pretty pretty bizarre like I, I tried going skiing that day and the coaches were like i don't think you should go out there like every like skis were flying across the state like everything was just like flying everywhere like you couldn't even see out and like all the <laughs> the vents and the ski route was just like flapping in the wind and it like it felt like you were kind of like in a hurricane up there some days. oh my god that's crazy yeah that's I mean I don't know I feel like it's funny like funny later in situations like that where you're just like yeah we there was like a um typhoon came in to Tokyo like so we had to like derig all our boats and like put them back in the containers that they had like come in like i don't know it was just to me i'm like this is hilarious like you like make it you make it to the olympics and like <laughs> it's just like like i don't know it's so funny it's like these hilarious things happen um that's insane though that's crazy yeah they actually are shortening the so we all row like the same distance like 2000 meters it's like whatever our standard distance and they're shortening it in LA like it's going to be 1500 meters which mm. is like like you said a like lot. a huge <laughs> change and everyone's just like yeah like I don't know it's just like one of those things where you're like okay I guess this is just what we'll do like I don't know um, is that for the long term like are they making that the new olympic distance no they're literally like the only place they could find to do it in la mm. is like 1500 is 500 meters shorter so that's just what they're gonna do oh. 
Okay. But yeah, like the we qualification just is still going to be yeah. 2000. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. It's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. Cause we, we just um, like last week when I was at these, uh, these fist meetings um, decided on the new Olympic distances, cause we moved to equal distance for men and women, oh, which cool. means now like the formats needed to be changed and like solidified for the long term, And that's for the next Olympics, like already decided. So it's changing like two and a half years out. That's, that's cool that you guys like that. That's what you get to do though. I feel like that's like a big, a big mm-hmm. thing to have a voice in. Yeah, no, it, it's really exciting. We tested equal distance for the first time this year on World Cup, and then they wanted to see how it went and then get people's feedback and then decide, okay, what are the distances moving forward at the Olympics? And they're going to be the same for men and women. Um, and yeah, it's like we're getting right under the water because it's like the last minute that they can change those formats. Um, but it will be exciting and hopefully simplify for viewers too the, the formats for the races. If, so you guys like in and in an Olympic year and a non-Olympic year, you have like a really long season, right? Yeah. Like you go to Europe, it's primarily in Europe, right? Um, yeah, we, we head over like mid, early November and then come back end of March, beginning of April. So it's usually like four and a half months on the road racing World Cup. That seems crazy to me. That's like a really long time. Is it how long like, is the rowing season? We don't, we go to one world cup and then we go to the world championships. Basically. Is there not a world cup circuit? There is, but it's in Europe. Um, so we usually only go, um, to one of the world cups. We don't go to all three. There's three of them Ooh, in rowing. Okay. Um, the U S team just does that. I'm not really sure why you're so most of the European countries race a lot more than us. Um, at least like international, like they race like their international races. Rowing is a bit, it's a bit hard, like um, for us to like get over there that much. Um, same with like Australia and New Zealand. They usually only go to like one or maybe two of the World Cups. Um, yeah. I don't know. I only race like, I go to probably like five races a year. So race like 10 to 15 times. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. That's so different. Yeah. yeah. But I imagine it's both like exhausting, but also nice to have like so many opportunities, but like, are there certain ones that are like more important or like bigger? I don't know. Like, how do you guys handle being on the road that much and racing that much? Yeah. Um, so for like context, we race pretty much every weekend. We have a few weekends off throughout the winter, but pretty much every weekend for four and a half months straight. So I race almost every race except maybe like four or five this year. And I did 34 races this season, including that includes world championships. Um, but for us, like I would say the big events are Olympics and world championships. And so only once every four years, you have a year that doesn't have that, which is this upcoming year. Um, so those, those are always like the big focus of the year, but then also it depends on like what your goals are. So if you're trying to go for the overall world cup ranking every weekend matters, um, especially we, oh, we have the tour to ski too, which is like tour de France, but for cross country skiing. Um, and that's a big event too, because if you do well in the overall there, it's triple points, which you essentially have to do well there to have a chance at winning the world cup overall. 
Um, and it's seven, usually seven races in nine days and it ends with a hill climb where you Nordic ski up an Alpine mountain. <laughs> that sounds crazy. awesome though. I mean, like, yeah, it's, I mean, I it's know, like the a- biggest event of the year TV wise. And it's like around the holidays, around new year. Um, so the, I'd say like, those are the big events of the year, but then like, if you're going for, yeah, world cup overall sprint globe, distance globe, every one of those races matters. And so you just, you gotta have like mini peaks within having like a whole season peak. Um, and this year was the first year where like I didn't get sick or injured throughout the year. So I actually was like picking and choose. Like I actually had to pick races to sit out. Like I love to race and race everything because I think it helps my my like fitness and I race myself into shape. And so I feel very fortunate to be in a sport where we had to race a lot because I really like racing and struggle more in training. And so um having all those chances and opportunities to like make mistakes and learn is really awesome. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it's just like a lot of racing and I had to just end up picking, okay, like we have four races in a week. I can't do it all. Like what are my priorities? And so for me, I was focused on the sprint overall ranking. And so I, I sat out some distance races or some team events where there were no points and, or we didn't have like a full team or strong enough team to medal. And so that's kind of, how you decide and then the other factors are like if you get sick then you're obviously going to miss something there yeah um i so i like spent a summer up in craftsbury um so i like whatever learned a little bit about cross-country skiing <laughs> like biathlon and stuff from some of the uh athletes there but they were also saying that like it's like a huge spectator sport in europe like there's like right like it's like tons and tons of people so is that also, is it kind of weird, like, that it's such a big thing there and, like, not that big here or is just, like, used to it now? I think I'm used to it now. I'm, like, with COVID, but no spectators. And it depends where you go in Europe. In some places, like, you're racing midweek, you won't get many spectators. Like, this year we were in Norway at the beginning of the year and we had, like, more American fans there than Norwegians. <laughs> it was super strange because we were, like, more in the woods of Norway. But then we had, uh, in March, we have the famous Homokul race, which is the 50 kilometer race. Um, outside of Oslo. And there you get like thousands of fans, like, and it's a huge party. People are like camping overnight and partying and playing music and drinking. And there's like all these fans. And so it's just varies on venue to venue. So I think you just get used to seeing like variety and spectators and fans. Yeah. That's cool. Do you have a favorite? race that you guys go to Ooh. or a favorite like training camp know. location well I, I love being in italy in general i think the food's really good it's usually pretty nice and sunny good skiing like really scenic people are really friendly um but in terms of like spectators the city events have been super fun we did dresden germany city sprint five years in a row and it was always action packed. There were a lot of crashes. Like you're right on the river along like this old city. And it was an hour away from where my family is from Germany. So I always had family coming to cheer me on. Oh, so that was like cool. definitely my favorite. Cause I feel like they're like more show races and that is what brings like, you gotta get some, we're trying to bring the venue, the races more to the people. Like if you're out in the, like cross country skiing is known as like a sport out, like skiing in the woods. But if you want to get a lot of spectators, you got to bring it to the city like Helsinki does a city sprint and Dresden like going to cities is the way to do it and I think those are really fun just because I like more 
are tactical and chaotic races. Uh, maybe because I grew up on a golf, a flat golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Place to my strength. I'm used to that. But um, those have been my favorite events so far. And like team sprints, I think are just so fun and exciting to do. Yeah, that's awesome. There's going to be a World Cup in America, right? Yes. And that is so, even though it's an off year this year, like no, no championship. That's like our championship in our <laughs> mind to have. It's like the first World Cup in the U.S. in over 23 years. We were supposed to have one March of 2020 and COVID hit five days before and it got canceled. Oh, which my was God. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Insane. So heartbreaking. Yeah. So and we haven't had a World Cup in Canada in a really long time, too, since COVID as well. We were in Canada when it got canceled. So, yeah, that's a huge highlight for us to be in Minneapolis. And that's, I would say, where you have the most cross-country skiers and cross-country skier fans is in the Midwest. And so I think it's like the perfect place to host it. It's outside the city or in a park, like super easily accessible. It's going to be free entry to watch. So anyone can come watch. And I think we're really, really excited about it. Yeah, that's really cool. That's like awesome. I'm sure it'll be great. Hopefully you guys all Mm -hmm. do really well too. (laughs) I hope so. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. Um. I read this article about you and it said that if you weren't skiing, you'd be working in a marketing or advertising firm. But I feel like the article was from a few years ago. So do you still feel like that's what you would be doing or would you change your answer at this point? I think, I think that's still kind of my answer. I mean, like creative director or something where I'm combining the outdoor world with like the business and the creative side. I think just like getting people to be outdoors and it's like just getting the outdoor bug. I feel like when people get exposed to it, then it's, they see just like the value of like sharing time with others and outdoors. And that's like what I'm really passionate about. And I love photography and videography and design. And so I see myself hopefully working in that realm someday, but hopefully my career is another six years at least. So who knows where I'll end up in six years from now. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys do a lot of like TikTok dances. How (laughs) did that start were you just like inspired one day or no I have to give full credit to Jesse Diggins who's my roommate and teammate and uh, my other teammate Lauren because they have been initiators of that I was like holding off on TikTok for so long my friend's like you gotta get TikTok before the Olympics so you can like grow your brand you know get sponsors I'm like, oh, I don't want to deal with another platform like I'm finally growing my Instagram presence <laughs> um <laughs> But I think Jesse loves to dance. We used to do ski team music videos, um, which were like really popular. And so then we started. So Jesse and I decided to get TikToks this fall um, in New York City when we were at our big ski team fundraiser. And their new social media guy was like, yeah, I'll film anything. So we're like, okay, let's do a TikTok in Times Square. And that kind of got the roll- ball rolling. And um, Jesse loves to dance. And so it's been a fun way like of little fun snippets on the road just to make a funny TikTok dance. Um, we have four and a half months together on the road. So it's a fun way to just like do a, a little team activity. We had like one this winter where like 10 PM at night and like for some reason we were all like wired with energy. And I was like, I'm not going to sleep right now. So we're like, let's make a TikTok dance and like just get all that energy out. Um, so it's like a team bonding thing and just a fun way to, I don't know. I think our team image is like, Eating is a professional sport and like it can be serious but most importantly you have to have fun with it and I feel like that's a way of showing showing that as well yeah you guys are like pretty good dancers though 
Jesse definitely is. I've, I've been trying to learn from her, but she, she like did dancing growing up and like, she took me to my first ever dance class last spring in Boston. Wow. Um, I was like, wow, I thought I was athletic, but now I'm like, maybe I'm not. It's so hard, <laughs> but she's definitely taught us a bunch and um, has gotten the whole team involved. So it's a really fun team activity now. And we have the time and energy. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's funny. I just think like it would be hilarious if like the rowing team tried to do a TikTok dance. Like you guys should do it. We could do a little cross challenge. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it would be hilarious. Like I don't I guess I don't want to say that other people are bad dancers, but rowers are not exactly known for having good like hand-eye coordination. And I just imagine it to be like hilarious. Um, but maybe, maybe we're about to go to a training camp. So maybe you I'll sh- pick you should do it. I can idea. I can send you some easy ones. Cause Nordic skiers and rowers come from the same family. Like there's so many people who, who cross sports. Like there's not many good hand-eye coordinated people either, but you just gotta practice it and pick something super simple and um and then just roll with it. Yeah. No, it's nice. It's fun though. I feel like, um, I feel like at least on social media, it seems like you guys have like a lot of fun, which, um, yeah. When you spend more time with your teammates than you do like your family and everything, I feel like it's important. It's nice for little girls to have inspiring role models. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel really fortunate just like my teammates were like, like Jesse Diggins still have posters in my like childhood bedroom wall and now we're like sharing a bed for four and a half months and like best friends and teammates so it's like kind of crazy to think like uh, she's been a mentor to me but now also a teammate and friend and so yeah. it's it's really cool how that how that can happen I've had a few of those moments myself um we actually met <laughs> Jesse Diggins she this is like a total fangirl moment but uh they did like this thing after the uh, Tokyo Olympics in Orlando at like Universal. Um, it was like supposed to be for people's like family and friends because like they couldn't go to the Olympics, but my parents didn't want to go. So I went with my boyfriend and a bunch of rowers went because rowing is the first week. So we had we could go after and um, they had these kind of like viewing parties at night, whatever. And we were all there like watching and jesse diggins like came in we're all like oh my god it's jesse diggins you know whatever (laughs) um and then my boyfriend was like that's jesse diggins i rode the elevator with her like and she asked me if i was here like you know whatever he said yeah like my girlfriend whatever and he said um and then i don't know oh she said oh i ski and he said oh i ski too (laughs) i'm like oh my god (laughs) like mortified so you can tell her I'm sorry about my boyfriend that didn't know who she was and whatever. That's funny. He was, yeah. yeah, I guess. And it's funny because we like do a We are so bad at cross country skiing, but we like have cross country skis, just like metal edges. And we'll just go out into the woods or like mm-hmm. golf courses and stuff that's ungroomed. Um, and I guess he was talking to her about it. I'm like, she didn't want to hear about that. She just she doesn't care. <laughs> like, no, she does care. She's <laughs> He picked his like purely on like design of the ski. Like the guy was like, like this oh, one's you- pretty. <laughs> yeah. The man selling them was like, oh, based on your height and weight, you should get these ones. And he was like, oh no, I like this one better. <laughs> like, okay, dude, whatever. So yeah. That's so fun. Were you in DC for Team USA week last year? 
No. Um, Yeah, I was like really bummed. It was literally during one of our like domestic races. Um, Yeah. And like I said, we only race like (laughs) very few times. Um, They Mm -hmm. gave us like, so some people did go. Um, They gave us the choice to like go in the middle of our race, like literally like race the heats and then, you know, take a train to DC Um, and I don't know. I just felt like it was, I was really bummed to miss it though. Cause I feel like it's like, well, hopefully not a once in a lifetime experience, but kind of a yeah. once in a lifetime experience. Um, it was cool to have summer and winter. Cause you, I assume, you know, Brooke Mooney, we ski mm-hmm. race together. So we were like always going head to head and raced on the like, junior national teams for New England together. And, um, so I got to know a lot of the rowers that week, but normally it's not summer and winter together, which I think is such a cool thing. Cause you there's all these Olympic pro athletes who are doing similar things, have similar lifestyles and experiences, but we never actually get to like interact together. I know um, they should just change. They should consider that like a good thing from COVID and they should just do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Like every, I don't know. Yeah. Now it is time for ask Christy anything or ask Christy anything this week comes from Instagram. Elizabeth asked me, how do you physically and mentally approach a situation where you have multiple races with not much time between for recovery? Um, So Elizabeth, I was just in this situation at the World Cup. I raced in two events and on both Saturday and Sunday, I think we had an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half between our two races, which is not a ton of time. For me, I really just try to do the task at hand. I try not to think too much about the, it's not that I don't think about the big picture, but I try to just focus on what I'm doing, be where my feet are. So if I have two races in one day, I just think about the first one. I, you have to just focus on what you're doing in that moment. And then as soon as that ends, you can start preparing for the next when I have a lot going on, if I'm doubling up or I have a lot of races or you have a heat and a semi in the same day or something, I like to have thought through a lot of stuff the night before and just be ready for any scenario. So I like to have, you know, lots of changes of clothes, lots of snack options, water options, different electrolyte refuel options so that no matter what I need, I've already thought about it and I don't have to panic through it. I just find that that really helps me. And and if I've spent the time thinking about it the night before, then I know I'll be ready for any situation. We were really fortunate. Also, the U.S. rowing staff was and our coaches were so amazing. They helped us out so much during the World Cup. So if you have a really tight turnaround, it can be really helpful to have some supporters there and that they're doing things for you and thinking for you when you're exhausted and can't do it. Um, And other than that, like we're so much stronger than we think we are. Pain is just, you know, in your head, like your body is trained to do way more than you think. And if you've put in the time and practices, then you'll be able to do it. Like I was able to go, you know, Sophia and I went, had the fastest last thousand during our uh last race like our legs were super tired then but we were able to do it so it just shows that 
a lot of it is mental. I mean, it is physical, the fatigue, but you can push yourself, you know, harder than you think. Like that's true for everybody. So I think just focusing on the task at hand and, and being ready for, you know, a lot of different things. Um, and I do take recovery pretty seriously. I, I do the, you know, ice baths and we have amazing, um, physical therapists who give us leg flushes, put on my like recovery tights, get my legs up, have all my drinks and everything, get a lot of sleep. There's things you can do. Um, but yeah. Thank you for that question, Elizabeth. And if you have a question for Ask Christy Anything, uh, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or send me an email, the other three years at gmail.com. Um, yeah, really. And any topic doesn't have to be about rowing, anything you want. Coming up next week, we have a super fun episode with some of my national team teammates known to the world as women in the boat. Um, they are from the Princeton Training Center, and uh, they have a very successful Instagram account called Women in the Boat, and they um, are known for doing this thing on Instagram called Would You Rather Wednesdays. So I thought it would be fun to turn the tables on them and ask them some Would You Rathers, play play a game of Would You Rather. So it's super fun. We talk rowing, life play some games. It's silly. It's serious. There's something for everybody. And it's a fun time with fun people. So to close the show this week, we have our quote of the week. And it's from Rachel Wolken, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And Rachel says, when your light is truly bright, you'll never have to dim anyone else's so that you can shine. So thanks for listening. See you next week. I'd love to hear from you, so send us a topic suggestion, or if you'd like to submit a question for our Ask Christy Anything segment, head to our website, theother3years.com.